Yeah, thanks, I need a little bit more. Thank you, Doug. Good morning, church. I'm excited to share with you um, today, and I'm also excited that our kids are here to join us as well. Uh, having our kids in service is something that we try to do every few months so that they can participate um, in big church um, and see some of the similarities and some of the differences between uh, what they experience um, upstairs and what you experience down here. So kids, hopefully you have a sermon worksheet. If you can fill that out, complete that as we go. Uh, we have a prize for you um, following the service. And there's also a keyword for today. So if you can keep track of the number of times that I say the word grace, and you will enter, fill out a ballot afterwards, and uh, I will be counting. And next week, if you were the closest person, you might win a prize as well. So be, be listening for the word grace. I might say grace a lot. <laughs> so today I'm going to be sharing a tale that's as old as time. It's a story that's bittersweet and strange, and it's about finding you can change and learning you were wrong. It's a story about this amazing transformative powers of grace. Today we're going to hear about someone who was really mean to some people, a bit of a monster really, and had the wrong attitude. But he was transformed by grace and love and started living his life differently. Now if you're a Disney fan like I am, you've probably picked up on the references. Um, and you might be thinking that uh, I'm going to be sharing today about the beast from Beauty and the Beast. And that would be very fun. Um, there's probably a lot that I could share there. But recently, as I was watching the newest version of Beauty and the Beast, I was struck by some of the parallels between the life of the beast and the life of Paul, the author of First Timothy, which we are currently studying. There's this change that happens throughout the movie as Belle shows the beast grace and love. And the beast begins to change the way he lives. Now, the transformation that the beast went through and that Paul went through are very different. Um, but when the beast was shown grace and allowed love into his life, his behavior changed. And when Paul encountered Jesus, his behavior and his whole life was changed. Before that grace showed up, though, both the beast and Paul were focusing on the wrong things. If we have the wrong focus, we can miss out on being transformed by God's grace because his grace is truly amazing. As Christians, we should focus on God's love and all that that includes because that is what changes hearts and what changes lives. So let's dive in. We've just wrapped up our series on the book of Ephesians, which was a letter from Paul to the church of Ephesus. And as Dave pointed out last week, we are heading, we're just beginning a sequel. Part two of letters from Paul to the Ephesians is called First Timothy. And it's a letter to Timothy who was sort of an apprentice to Paul. So if you were away next week, last week, or if you were upstairs with me last week, you might be thinking, who is Timothy? And I'd love to explain that to you. So can you guys love, imagine loving learning so much that you do it all the time? Uh, I definitely can. See, when I was in elementary school, I loved math. 
Is there anyone else uh, here today who loves math? Love it. See, see some hands raised. I see you back there, Owen. Got a math question in the sermon guide just for you then. So I loved math. I would do more questions on the homework than the teacher assigned. I would do minute math tests uh, at home for fun. I don't even know if schools do minute math anymore. And I even took out math textbooks from my school library so I could work on them at home and work on grades ahead of where I was. Yeah, I was that kid. <laughs> but as crazy as it sounds, Timothy was even more excited to learn than I was. I took things home with me. Timothy followed his teacher everywhere he went. Timothy followed Paul everywhere Paul went. But Timothy didn't learn about math. He learned about Jesus. And just like how I began to tutor students in math, Timothy eventually began teaching others about Jesus. So last week, Dave dug into why Paul is writing to Timothy to encourage him in Ephesus, to correct false teachers who were missing the most important things about God's good news. And just in case you missed last week, I would encourage you to check out our church app to watch the sermon recordings. And hopefully you're also in a life group where you, will where you are able to walk through our study this week. If you're not connected to either of those things, we'd love to help get you connected. Paul knew that Timothy had a difficult job ahead of him. It is hard to change the way that people think. Paul was especially concerned about the teachers because they were focusing on the wrong things, which Paul knew all about, because he used to focus on the wrong things too. Let's take a moment now and pray and ask God to help us focus on the right things today so that we can learn from Paul just as Timothy did. So if you're comfortable, why don't you uh, close your eyes and bow your heads with me. Uh, we like to close our eyes, kids, uh, so that we're not distracted by what's going on around us and maybe put our hands together so we're not distracting others as well. Let's pray. Lord, as we begin to learn from your word today, I just pray that we can hear your truth, and your grace in these words. Thank you that we can learn from Paul just as Timothy did. And help us open our eyes to things that may be distracting us from living in your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So today's uh, passage that Doug read for us uh, is a really quick summary of Paul's conversion. He says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him, even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ. In my insolence, I persecuted his people, but God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and love that comes from Christ Jesus. So that's a really quick summary um, and skips over a lot of the details. And maybe some of us don't know what the story of Paul's conversion is. So we're going to take a look at it this morning because it really does demonstrate how um, truly amazing God's grace is. So I'm going to be turning to Acts 9 now. And in Acts 9, we see a picture of Paul's life when he was persecuting Christ's people. 
At that time, he was a Pharisee and a devout follower of Mosaic law, and he hated the followers of Jesus. And at that time, Paul didn't go by the name Paul. People called him his Hebrew name, Saul. So let's read from Acts 9. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. Saul thought he was doing the right thing by persecuting people who believed in Jesus. He thought that they were in the wrong, that they were ignoring God's teachings and watering down God's promise to his chosen people. Saul was going out of his way, literally traveling to different cities to ruin the lives of men and women who were followers of the way, followers of Jesus. He would have them thrown in jail, beat up, or sometimes even killed. But one day, while Saul was on the road to Damascus to find more people who believed in Jesus, a blinding light suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. But when that light and that voice went away, Saul was blind. But he went to the city and ended up meeting some of Jesus' followers there. And they helped Paul see again. And at that point, Saul believed that Jesus was the one true son of God. And, was, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He then spent some time getting to really know God and telling people about God and God's son, Jesus. Paul wanted to tell the whole world about Jesus. And eventually, as he did that, he started using his Roman name, Paul, as we know him, so his name would be more recognizable for the people he was teaching. When Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, he went from being the sworn enemy of Jesus' followers to becoming a passionate advocate on Jesus' behalf. His life, was his life was changed because of God's grace. It's truly amazing. One interesting thing to note here is that we often think of Paul as converting from the self-contained religion we know as Judaism to the self-contained religion that we know as Christianity. From being a Jewish Pharisee to a Christian apostle. But Paul wasn't converting religions, but converting to a new understanding of how to live out his faith. Christians didn't exist yet. That term hadn't been invented yet. But there were Jewish people who rejected Jesus, which Paul had been. And there were Jewish people who believed that Jesus was the Messiah, God's son. This is important to distinguish because sometimes we fall into the trap of thinking that we're okay as long as we're Christians. That it's other people who need to change, who need saving. But Paul was already following God. He had given his life to following God. 
but was focusing on the wrong things. His faith in God didn't change when he met Jesus and experienced grace, but how he lived out his faith changed. After meeting Jesus, Paul realized that he had been wrong, and God showed him grace anyways. Paul did not deserve mercy, he did not earn mercy, but he also wasn't too far gone or ineligible for mercy. Through God's grace, Paul was forgiven. When Paul began believing in Jesus, he was transformed by grace, and it changed the way he lived his life. So up until this point, Paul had been a Pharisee, and Pharisees thought that the laws that had been given to Moses and the Israelites were the most important things. At that time, Pharisees were known for focusing on how other people sinned and didn't follow God's law. And the Pharisees thought that other people weren't good enough at following all the rules God had given them. Paul had been focusing on the wrong things. So later, when Paul is writing to Timothy and the, Ephes and the Ephesians, he's really worried. Paul doesn't want the church of Ephesus to be distracted by the wrong things like he had been. Remember, the church of Ephesus was filled with false teachers who were having people focus on the wrong things, like debates about the application of the Mosaic Law and boasting about who they were related to. In 1 Timothy 1.4, it says, Don't let them waste their time in endless discussions of myths and spiritual pedigrees. These things only lead to meaningless speculation, which don't help people live a life of faith in God. So what does help people live a life of faith? Focusing on God's grace and mercy, mercy which, God, which Paul's testimony is an example of. Verse 16 says, But God had mercy on me, so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul's testimony is a more compelling teaching than any false teaching about the rules that Christians should be following, what they should eat, or who they may be related to, because his testimony shows that God's grace is changing hearts and lives, because God's grace is truly amazing. So what should we be focusing on today then? God's grace or other things in the world that distract us from our message of the good news? Last week we heard from Dave that there are still some false teachers that we need to be aware of today. But there are other things that can distract us as well. Things like serving in the church, keeping busy, making it ourselves look like followers of Jesus, instead of taking the time to build a deep and transformational relationship with God. When we try to look the part and do a lot of things for God, it can make us think that we can earn our way to salvation. Sometimes we also fall into the trap of thinking that others need Jesus more than we do. Like, 
oh, sure, Jesus saved me, but Sarah, she really needs saving. This can be dangerous as it elevates our sense of righteousness, that we can be saved by doing good things, or that maybe our sin isn't actually that bad. Another danger that we see threatening Christians today is thinking that the law, the Old Testament law that was given to Moses, is not that important anymore. That it's okay for us to live however we want to. God will forgive us. We live in a grace-filled world. Who cares what we do? That kind of thinking leads to Christians who are lenient, resulting in them not living the way God wants them to. As well, sometimes we can get distracted by having good intentions to share God's grace and love with others. We have the intention, but we don't actually live out the reality of God's grace. We aren't spurred into action. We can spend so much time talking about what good we need to do, but we don't actually take action. But if we are captivated, if we're actually captivated by God's grace, action will flow out of that because we will be transformed. We will want to live as God wants us to, not forgetting the law. We will want to serve others, not just looking good and playing the part. Paul was totally and completely captured by God's grace, and we see that in his actions He traveled to most of the known world to share the good news of Jesus. And also in the way that he talks about God's grace. In verse 14, Paul talks about how generous and how gracious Jesus was by filling him with faith and love. In the NIV, it says, The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. That word abundantly in the Greek is actually excuse me if I get this wrong, hooper play on atso, which is a compound word, two words stuck together, hooper kind of meaning beyond, and play on atso meaning increasing to, to really make it simple. So beyond increasing. Paul really liked adding this hooper or hyper to the front of words to make their meaning stronger. Kind of like when we add est to words to make them mean the most, like the greatest, the awesomest, the incredibleest. So when I read verse 14 here, I like to imagine Paul writing to Timothy and getting so excited about God's grace that he just makes up the best word he can think of to describe what he means. God showed me the bestest, mostest, awesomest grace ever. Paul has shown what happens when you focus on the wrong thing and miss the right thing. His life is a testimony to that. But I also think that Paul is saying, if God can transform my life, he can transform anyone's. Because he goes from talking personally of his own life, sharing his testimony, to stating a truth that applies to the whole world, something that everyone should believe. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. In order for Jesus to save sinners, people need to know that they are sinners, 
And this is where the law, the laws that God gave people as long ago through Moses, these laws are allow people to know that they are sinners because they break the laws. We're going to have an opportunity to talk more about these laws in life group, but Paul said earlier in 1 Timothy that the law is good when used correctly so that all people can know how sinful they were. And this statement that Jesus came into the world to save sinners is key to the gospel, to our beliefs. Jesus didn't come to be praised or to debate the law or to condemn sinners, but to save them. This idea of being saved by Jesus' grace is something that we are all familiar with, and we have all heard Paul talk about it before too. Paul wrote the letter to the Ephesians to the same group of people that he is talking to Timothy about in 1 Timothy. A few months ago, earlier in our study of Ephesians, we looked at Ephesians 2 where Paul said, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We cannot be saved by being the best at following the law or by doing good deeds, but only by Jesus' power. If we seek salvation through other means, not only are we not going to find it, but we are ignoring this gift of grace. If we put the wrong thing at the center of our life, things like following the law of Moses or thinking that we can do anything because God will forgive us, we've made those things more important than Jesus. We run the risk of feeling that we don't need Jesus. But if we put Jesus at the center, living the way that God wants us to, or sharing God's grace with others will naturally flow out of that. We will be transformed because we'll be living in the reality that God's grace is truly amazing. So how do we live in that reality? How do we keep it at the forefront of our mind? Theologian Timothy Keller suggests that if we are going to grow in grace, we must stay aware of being both sinners and also love children in Christ. We need a high and due sense before God, sorry, a high and due sense of our sin before God and a deep and profound sense of our union with and acceptance in Christ. In this world, we're supposed to live in this tension between knowing we are sinners and, know, and knowing that we are loved, fully loved. Paul does a really good job at remembering this. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. I am the worst of them all. Paul is calling himself the worst sinner. This might seem a little bit extreme. Paul was pretty terrible at times, a bit of a monster really, but we can probably think of worse sinners. So potentially there is some hyperbole there. Hyperbole and overstatement, which is intentionally exaggerating to make a point, is common in the Bible. Not everything is literal. 
I was recently reminded of this when one of the girls that I nanny woke up early and she wanted to spend some quiet time with me as I was doing my morning devotional. So she's there sitting with me and my Bible is open to Matthew 7. She's kind of reading along quietly with me. And suddenly she turns to me with this look of horror in her seven-year-old eyes. And she says, Sarah, how could somebody have a log in their eye? That would be very dangerous. So we know that hyperbole is often used. But I don't think that saying he is the worst sinner is just Paul having a flair for the dramatic. I think that this is actually a good perspective to have. Paul realizes that in comparison to God's perfection, he is the worst. Paul is being realistic. We are the reason that Jesus died on the cross. We still need Jesus. We can't forget the price that Jesus paid. It's important for us to live in the reality that we are the reason that Christ died. So that when we talk about the grace that we have received, it's a testament to his mercy and grace. If I do not fully believe that I deserve to die for my sin, then I will not fully understand the grace that is shown to me. If I'm not blown away by mercy and grace that God has shown when he saved me, then I'm not going to be all that useful at sharing the gospel with others, with all people, with all the worst sinners. God wants us to share the grace we have experienced with others, with everyone. When we talk about, when we take the truth of this super awesomest, most amazingest grace in our lives and share it with others, we will change lives. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul's testimony of salvation from being the arch enemy of Jesus to becoming the trust, trusted apostle to the Gentiles reveals the depth and width and height of God's grace. It reminds me of the story of John Newton. John Newton was a man in the 1700s who had done horrible things in his life, including being a slave trader. One day when faced with the potential of dying on a ship in a terrible storm, he realized that he needed Jesus, but he felt hopeless because he concluded that his sins were too great to be forgiven. He made it out of the storm alive and decided that he wanted to learn more about God. And as he began to learn more, he found out about God's amazing grace. Because where sin increases, grace increases all the more. As John Newton learned about grace, he went on to compose a song that we still sing today. Amazing grace. God's grace is enough to save a wretch like me. Sometimes we forget the magnitude of the action that it took for God to save us. But there are a few practical times, which Dave has already mentioned today, regular opportunities we have built into our calendar so that we can remember that truth and keep God's grace 
at the forefront of our minds. One of them is Lent. And Lent is a season where we can give up something that might be getting in the way or making us forget about Jesus being at the center of our life. It's an act of surrendering, surrendering, and it's an opportunity to, for us to repent, which doesn't only mean to stop sinning, but actually means to change your mind so that you don't want to do that behavior anymore. And just like how Paul sometimes fasted or stopped eating certain foods in order to get to know God better, we can give up something, like Dave mentioned, like coffee or TV or chocolate, in order to be reminded in our daily routines of our sins and have time to contemplate what Jesus did for us when he died on the cross. Some people have found this practice helpful, not to spend time in sadness or in despair, missing what they have given up, but so that we can be pointed to the hope of the resurrection and that when Good Friday and Easter come, it's not just a slightly more special day at church. It's an opportunity to receive the bestest, mostest, awesomest grace ever. Another opportunity to remember the reality of our sin and the power of the grace that Jesus had, has offered us is through communion. Communion gives us a formal rhythm to reflect on Jesus' death and resurrection so that we can regularly make sure that we are putting Jesus at the center of our faith. Communion helps us embed gospel centrality into the life of the church. So today we're going to have an opportunity to take communion together. For some of you, for families and kids, maybe this is your first time being present for communion. Here at South Langley, we invite all believers to participate. Anyone who confesses Jesus Christ as Lord with their words and in their life. We also think that it's important that participants understand its meaning and are accountable to their congregation. Children who believe and confess that Jesus is Lord have authentic faith. But sometimes understanding the significance of communion and being accountable to the congregation is something that happens when you're a little bit older. If you don't think your child is ready to receive communion in this way, there are other ways for them to participate. The first is observation, so that they can actually see what communion is. We'd encourage you to talk to them about communion, to answer any questions that they might have at a time when you can answer these questions without rushing. Kids can also be included in communion this morning in other ways. Allow them to handle the communion trays and make a point of speaking a blessing over them. Remind them that Jesus loves them and that he died for them. And kids, as we take communion, I want you to think about what we've been talking about today and participate by asking Jesus to forgive you for the times where you haven't put him at the center. As I invite the band and Dave, who will lead us in communion, to come up, I want to invite you this week to ask God to show you what has been getting in the way of living with the reality of God's grace at the forefront of your mind. I want to encourage you to reflect on how you, a sinner, had the grace of our Lord poured out on you abundantly. Isn't it amazing? Because once we were lost and now we're found. 
And just like Paul, at one time we were blind, but now we can see. Let's focus on what is good, not being distracted by the wrong things, so that we, but focusing on the right, so that we can be transformed and share our testimony with others, so that they can see that God's grace is truly amazing. Amen.